Well, here's the thing, is uh, we, uh, we as a family, we as a church, and even um, just we as people, we love traditions. If you look at your life and you look at um, some of the most memorable moments of your life, it may be revolving around a tradition. And so as a family, we have, a, we have young kids, and, and of course, we're going to be teaching them a lot of the traditions that we have inherited over the years from our own families, but we also wanted to introduce some new traditions. And the reason why is because um, traditions are, are, are important. They communicate certain values and beliefs. They bring a sense of, of community and bonding. And in fact, there's a, a little bit of security there because the life uh, is always changing and it's crazy. And this just brings some stability. And so we're looking at our family. And we're trying to figure out, okay, what is our traditions going to be? What are some of the ways that we're going to bond as a family? And, and hopefully we'll be able to communicate some of the things that we value as, as parents. And so one of the things that we've kind of come upon is, uh, and this is so outside of my comfort zone, I did not grow up like this, is we now sing and dance on a pretty daily basis at our house. We sing and dance. Uh, their mother, she dabbles in singing a little bit, so that's kind of her thing. And so we decided that uh, we are going to sing and dance, and this is a way that we learn about the Bible, and this is a way that we um, celebrate and we worship. And so, okay, that's going to be our thing. And so we do that all the time. We have one problem, though, is my first two kids, they love singing, they love dancing. My third child, mm, he's not too sure about it. In fact, I'm pretty sure we're going to have to find a different tradition because what happens every time we begin to sing and dance is, well, I actually recorded it for you because I think it's better to see it than to uh, hear about it. So watch this real quick. So it's not going to work out, I don't think, but it is really fun to do. So we do that on a pretty regular basis. Like, we want to make the baby cry? Yeah, let's do it for sure. That's fun. So that's a good pastime. Um, but traditions, they're, they're a big part of your family and mine and, and the church, church community. In fact, uh, about seven years ago, we started this thing called December Nights, where every Thursday night in December, we were just going to come together as a community, as a church family, and we're going to make some memories, and we're going to create some traditions, and it really has caught on. Over the last seven years, it's grown, and I think there's like four or 5,000 people who come now, and it's just, it's nuts, right? It's, it's crazy. And it's because we, we so desire this, these traditions, these places that we can connect. And this isn't unique to us or to our community. This is something I think that humanity has been doing since the very beginning. And in Jesus' day, there was a ton of traditions, specifically Jewish religious traditions. And some of them were really good, and some of them were not so good. And I want to look at one of probably the most important traditions in the Jewish faith, and I think how it maybe impacted um, not only, uh, not only the, the, the nation of Israel, but continues to impact us and gives us some great insight. And so the, the context for this verse is there's Moses and Moses. Moses is leading the people of Israel through the desert, and if you know the story, you know that they are lost for 40 years because they are not really obeying God. And eventually, the uh, generation who's not obeying God, they kind of start to die off. The next generation comes up, and Moses, who's not going to get to enter into the promised land, goes and gives the next generation this speech. They're adults at this point, and he says, look, you need to know a couple really important things. 
And if you've ever had the chance to talk to somebody who's kind of near the end of their life, and they tell you, hey, this is what I have learned, you need to listen close. In fact, this last year, my grandfather passed away, and, and I was able to meet with him a few times before he did. And one time we were alone, and I said, Grandpa, you have lived an incredible life. You've been a pastor forever. You've been a great husband and father. You're finishing well. Like, I just hope to be able to do what you've done. And what do I need to know? What are the things that I need to take away? Like, if you could summarize, you know, how you've been able to do this. And here's what he said. He said, son, stay away from the gold, the glory, and the girls. And then he went back to watching the news. And I said, okay, I'll unpack that myself, I guess. But he kind of summarized, hey, you know what? If you want to be a great father, you want to be a great husband, you want to be a great pastor, you need to avoid these three things. And that's kind of what Moses is doing here is he's going, look, if you want to succeed, if you want God to bless you, if you want to have an abundant life, here's what you need to know. And he says this, it's in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And he says this, and this becomes a part of the Jewish tradition. In fact, um, for hundreds of years after that, even to this very day, Jewish families will say this in the morning and at night, and sometimes right before uh, lunch, is they will repeat this over and over from the earliest ages. Whenever they can memorize this, they will begin to repeat this, and they will say it every day of their life. And so, I think that this verse, it condenses some really important lessons. He really summarizes, hey, here's the two things, the primary things that you need to know if you want to be faithful. And it's really two things. I'll break it down like this. The first thing is you need to know who God is. And then once you know that, you need to know what your purpose is. And so let, let's, let's break it up real quick. Is he starts off with the Lord our God, the Lord is one. See, this is about having a correct view of God. This is kind of a, a, a theology, if you will is you need to know who the true creator is. Now, you got to understand the context is that um, the surrounding nations of Israel all had their own gods. Every region, every nation had their own god. And, and oftentimes, if you lost in war, it's because your god was not as strong as the other nation's god. And so he's blowing that conception out of the water. He's going, you know what? Everybody in the world believes that they have their own god, but I've got to tell you, there's only one God, and it's the God who has revealed himself to the people of Israel. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's, that's interesting, but that's not really our problem. Because if you were to talk to the average person on the street, unless they're Hindu or, or uh, some, some Buddhist, they would probably say, sure, there's a God, and they wouldn't think much past that. You ask them, well, what about a bunch of gods? They would say, I, I don't know about that. I don't think so. Because we've grown up in the West and we kind of have this uh, foundation of Judeo-Christian belief. And so most people are monotheistic and so they wouldn't really think too, too much beyond that. But if you begin to deep, dig a little bit deeper into their theology, into their worldview, people actually do believe in a multitude of gods. Because here's what they will say. Hey, um, you can believe what you want to believe. Whatever God you want to worship is fine. Whatever you think about God, your conception of God, that's good for you. You can continue to worship who you want to worship. And what they're saying is not that you have the freedom to do this, but that your conception of God is true for you, and my conception of God is true for me. Now, here's the issue, is if your conception of God is true for you, and yours is true for you, and mine is true for me, and we all have a different conception of God, that means that either one, somebody's wrong, or two, there's a bunch of gods out there. And so, let's take, let's take the second, is could we be wrong? Maybe the Bible is true. Maybe there really only is one God. 
Well, if you say that in a conversation, you better be prepared because there's probably going to be some blowback. If you tell somebody, hey, um, you know, I, I understand that you faithfully believe this and then you, you, you know, your conception of God is X, Y, and Z and this is your religion. And, but I got to tell you, I think the scriptures is right. There's only one God and this is this, the God of Israel revealed in the person of Jesus. You are going to be called some names probably like narrow-minded and intolerant. But here's my follow-up question. Let's assume, or I mean, let, let's imagine that, um, that I came up to you and I said, hey, I'm going to write a book about you. It's going to be a, a biography. I'm going to tell about your life. And you go, whoa, that's crazy. Tell me more. Well, what's going to be in it? I said, well, here's what I'm going to tell them. I'm going to tell them how you were an astronaut and how you uh, were a mathematician and how you were kind of an introvert. And you would probably pause and say, hold on, um, <laughs> I'm afraid of heights. I, I'm really bad at math. And I kind of Think of myself as a people person. Well, I, I, that's fine. That's your conception of you. Um, but I have a different belief. I have a different conception. I, I, this is how I view you. You would rightfully say, you're wrong. <laughs> that's, that's not who I am. And, and so the place that we have to begin is who is God? We don't get to create God. We get to discover God. And so who does God say that he is? Well, if the scriptures is true, this is what he says he is. He says, I am one. I am this God who has revealed myself through the scriptures. And so once we have a conception and once we know who God is, the second part is that we are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. And he continues on, he says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And so what he's saying is once you understand who God is, then you can understand who you are and what you are, what you are created for. You are created to be in a relationship with this God and you were created to love him, to have your whole being be focused in and, and given to this creator God. Now, some of us, we would check the box that, yes, I'm a Christian, yes, I believe, all those kinds of things, but that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is you got to be 100% in, that every arena, every corner, every facet of your life is dedicated and given over to God. So your finances, they're not yours, they're God's. Your body, it's not yours, it's to honor God. Your relationships, your schedule, everything is supposed to be open to God and what he wants for them. We don't get to hold anything back. That's why uh, it says that we're supposed to love, our God, love God with our hearts and our souls and our strength. That's just representing our entire being. And sometimes we forget this. In fact, our natural disposition is not to make our lives about God, it's to make our lives about ourselves, right? Because inside of us, we're all little kingdom builders, we want to build a kingdom, our kingdom. And I have my, my little, uh, my little um, people in my kingdom, which are my kids, and, and I've got my finances, and I've got my career, and I've got my agenda, and, I've got, and I'm building my kingdom. And the scripture says, well, you were actually created to be a part of his kingdom. And when you begin to lose focus on the fact that you were created to be a part of his kingdom instead of building your own, you're going to end in a pretty disastrous place. In fact, that's what happened to the previous generation that Moses is talking about is they failed to keep their eyes on God. And so, continues on, he says this in verse 7. And we're kind of moving from the who God is to what my purpose is to how we're going to do all of this. He says this, impress them on your children, talking about the commandments and loving God. I think it's kind of crazy, because what Moses just said is the most profound truth in probably all of the Old Testament, definitely the most repeated. And then he follows it up after saying these incredible theological truths and discovering our purpose and who we're meant to be. And then he follows up with, now go and tell your kids about it. Make sure your kids understand this. Why would he do that? Why would he follow up with, go and impress these truths on your children? I think there's a couple 
uh, reasons why. Maybe the context of who he's speaking to is the people um, who he's speaking to is the next generation, their parents, they failed to do this. The entire generation, because they failed to follow God, is going to die in the desert and they won't get to enter into the promised land. And so maybe a part of it is him going, hey guys, you've seen what your parents did. You saw how they screwed up and you see how they're going to miss out. And so don't be like them. Do better. The other part I think is because parents are going to be the top influencers in their children's lives. That's going to be one of the most influential relationships that you're going to have. I read an article this week and it talked about the three most influential people in your children's lives. And whether you're a parent, you're a grandparent, you're an aunt, uncle, you want to be a parent one day, this is going to be really important. So the three influencers, I bet you can guess the two. The first one is, uh, what? (laughs) Parents, there we go. Okay, second one is, peers. And the third one is, grandparents, grandparents. Yeah, oh, we have some grandparents in the house, okay. This is crazy to me is think about the responsibility that we have as parents, as family members, even just as friends, is we have an incredible responsibility that we get to influence the next generation. And so as, um, as we look at the influence that we have, and yes, I think one day every kid and, uh, is going to have the opportunity to decide for themselves whether they're going to believe and they're going to follow or not, but As people who get to influence the next generation, I think it's our responsibility to do everything that we can to set them up for success, especially in their faith. And so let me give you, and this is kind of the uh, way for me to uh, remember it, so hopefully you do too, is the three Ps to passing on your faith. First one is you got to be passionate. Some of the things that uh, you and I are most passionate about are because we inherited that passion. We saw it from our parents or our grandparents. And so a quick example is um, recently the Dodgers played in the World Series, I think, right? They played. Do they win or lose? I can't even. It's been a while. It's, oh, sorry. Yeah, too soon. Uh, anyway, we're watching the game. And my daughter, who's six, she says, you know, we don't like the Dodgers. I said, really? Why, why is that? He says, well, because we are Cubs fans. I said, you've never been to Chicago in your life. Why are you a Cubs fan? Well, you know, Papa's a Cubs fan, so I'm a Cubs fan. Well, okay, she's passionate about the Cubs because Papa's passionate about the Cubs. My bet is that this team that you root for is probably the same team that your parents were rooting for. That there's some hobbies that you have, there's some passions that you have that you inherited from your parents. And it's because we are heavily influenced on the previous generations. And so we have to be passionate, and it's especially true uh, of our faith. And so when we look at our, our faith, if we're not 100%, if we're not all in, our kids are going to know it. See, some of us, we would consider ourselves Christians, but we're like, like halfway Christians, you know? We're like, not like super Christians, but like sort of in there 50% of the time Christians. And I believe that we are, when we do this, um, we are not just harming the faith of the future generations, but we're making it near impossible to pass it on. Here's why. Is you and I, we get these things called flu shots. And in a flu shot, you get a tiny dose of the flu so that you can build up an immunity to it. Well, the same thing happens when you're a halfway Christian, is you're giving your kids an immunity to the faith. Because as a youth pastor for a lot of years, the most difficult kids to reach were the kids who came from a nominal Christian family. For people, from parents who weren't really into this thing. Because I had those kids who came from those really far off, irreligious families, and when they heard about God's grace, they were just shocked. I can have what? 
I can, I can be in a relationship with my creator. And then you had the other kids over here whose, whose parents were so passionate, so bought in that they were, they saw how life change can happen. And so they wanted to be a part of it. But then I had those kids in the middle whose parents were sort of Christians and they wanted nothing to do with it because I've seen Christianity. I've seen what it does and it doesn't really do much for me. So I'm not interested. Those were the most difficult kids to reach. And it's because they've built up an immunity to it. Kids are incredible at picking up our inconsistencies and our lack of commitment and even our hypocrisy. Is I tell my kids not to yell all the time. And you know how I tell them? By yelling at them. <laughs> Why is everyone yelling? Oh, maybe it's because I'm doing that. They pick up on these things. They may not call it out. They may not admit it, but they are watching you all the time. Moms, dads, grandparents, aunts, uncles, neighbors, they're watching you guys. And they're picking up on all the little hints, the cues. What do I spend my money on? What do I value? What does my schedule look like? Yeah, let me get into a couple of people's kitchens real quick. Is uh, I come to church every other weekend. I leave early because I want to beat the traffic. I've never been involved in a small group or a rooted group. I've never served anywhere. Do you think your kids aren't picking up on that? Do you think that they don't notice? They're going to go, this faith thing was just a nice thing that we did to check off on our list because we want to be good people. But that's not going to transfer to them. They're not going to be interested. In fact, here's how influential we are. Mom and dad, if you attend church regularly together, your kids are 75% likely to attend church as adults. That's just simply showing up together. Now, here's the crazy part is watch how the numbers change. If just mom attends, but dad does not, or there is no dad in the picture to attend, only 15% of kids will attend as adults. Now, if just dad attends, but mom doesn't, it goes back up to 55%, but if neither attend, it goes down to 6%. See, the assumption that we make is that kids are just going to get it, right? They're, they're just going to understand, especially those of us who are trying to live this out and we're really trying to do this. Is My kids are going to get it through just watching me, being around me, observing me, and that is partly true. That is going to be a big influence, but we will also see that Moses points out that you have to be more intentional than just hoping your kids get it. Here's what he says. He says, talk about it when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What he's saying is that you have to take this faith, this faith that, faith that one, you're passionate about, and you have to make it practical. You have to integrate this faith, not just into your Sunday morning routine, but into your daily routine. That this has to be something where they can connect the dots and they can say, well, here's how this faith impacts my life on a daily basis. When you're at home, when you're driving, when you're eating dinner, when you're putting the kids to bed, those are moments in which you can connect your life and your faith. And so this last week, we took a road trip up north, and when we were coming home, we jumped into the car, and as we were about to drive off, my daughter says, well, we got to pray. We got to pray. And so she begins to pray out loud in, in front of the family. And she says, God, thank you for this time that we had together. Thank you for saved traveling. And then my son, who's four, hears her praying and says, well, I, wanna, I don't want to be outdone. And so then he starts praying. And so we got the battle of the prayers happening in the back seat. And, but here's the thing that I love is I was taught when I was a little boy that when we get in the car and we're about to especially go on a road trip, we better, we better talk to God about it. And so it's become a habit. It's a tradition in my life. I can't drive without doing that. I feel like, oh, I think the road's going to collapse underneath me. It's not really going to happen, but it's weird if I don't do it. And I have passed that on to my kids unintentionally. Now they know every time we get in, okay, we better pray. 
Same thing is true of bedtime. Is It doesn't matter if it is one in the morning, I don't even want to admit that I'm their father anymore, I am done with them for the day. Unless we've had our prayer time, nobody's going to sleep. And it's not me who's pushing this anymore. It's my kids. They'll yell. They know not to get out of bed, but they will yell, Dad, prayers! And I'm like, oh, Lord, I am praying, but it's not for what they want. And so (laughs) it has just become a routine, a tradition in our life. One of the traditions that I'm so thankful for that I grew up with was that my dad um, understood that he needed to create opportunities, a a space for us to have meaningful and spiritual conversations, and and he knew I wasn't the smartest kid in the world, so reading books was kind of out, and so uh, he decided that he would invest in me into one of my favorite hobbies, which was motocross, and so I rode motocross for years, and he would drive me out to the track, which is an hour, two hours there and, and back, on a weekly basis. And it's not because he wanted an extra four-hour drive in his car. It's because he knew that this was the opportunity for us to connect, for us to be able to talk about some deep questions, some concerns, some stuff that I might be wrestling with in a really crucial time of my life. And I, I thank him all the time for taking that time, for creating that space, because that drastically changed the trajectory of my life. Because, yeah, it was awesome riding motocross, but, man, looking back, it was far more valuable to drive there and back. It's because he understood that he needed to make space. He needed to create opportunities for us to have those meaningful conversations. Also, you got to take advantage of those conversations when they arise. uh, Around that same age, I remember going to my dad, and, and I was complaining, and I was like, dude, what's the deal? Like, my friends have brand new this and that, and I want a brand new dirt bike, and they get to go on vacations, and they get to bring their friends. And I was being a spoiled brat, right? And he could have just said, oh, child, you know, and he could have shut me down right there. But him and my mother sat me down, and they said, well, let's talk about that a little bit. Why do your friends have some, all the new stuff and you don't? And why do they get to bring friends on vacation and, and we don't do that? And they started to answer, well, it's because we have a different set of values than your friends and their parents. One of the things that we value is we want to be generous people. We want to give sacrificially. And so, yeah, you, you're probably going to miss out on some of those things. And it's because we don't value those things as much as we value being generous, And yet, you're not going to get to bring friends on family vacation because part of the purpose of our family vacation is not just for you to have a good time. And I'm sure you'd have a great time if you brought a friend. It's about us bonding. It's about us connecting. It's about us growing our relationship as a family. And so they saw an opportunity. They saw a moment, and they took advantage of it, and they said, okay, let's let's talk about why we live different than everybody else. Skip down to verse 20. I'm going to run out of time here. At the end of this passage, here's what Moses says. He says, In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? And so here's the hope, is that you live in such a way that people take notice and they ask, well, why do you do that? Why do you spend your money on that? Why do you carve out so much time? Why is your life different? And maybe your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, nephews, your neighbor might go, why should I follow God? And that's the hope is to live in such a way for your life to be different. In fact, what they would do in the Old Testament is every time that God did something in the uh, nation of Israel, they would build a monument. And the hope was that the next generation, as they walked past the monument, would go, why is that there? And it would give them an opportunity to talk about what God has done. And so he continues on with this. He says, when this happens, when they ask, why should I follow Tell them we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. 
Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and, gave, and give us the land he promised with an oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to, fe- and to fear the Lord our God, so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And so when that opportunity opens up and we say, why should I believe? Why do we do this? You get to tell them your story. You say, well, here's where I was. Here's who I was. Here's where our family was. And here's where God has brought us. This is the third one is it's got to be personal. Someone came up to me last night after I um, gave this message, and he said, you know, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to ask my kids if they know why I'm a Christian. Because every child, every grandchild, every family member, hopefully at some point gets to hear your story of how God has transformed your life, why this faith is not just a tradition, but it is something deeply personal to you because you've seen radical life change happen. And I think Moses had some insight into a couple things. One, he had insight into um, the reason why many of us are the way that we are is because of the previous generations, that their story has helped shape, for good or bad, your story, that the people, your parents, your grandparents, great-grandparents, those people have shaped who you have become in part today. We've talked about this so, so many times, if you've been here in Seacoast history, of my great-grandparents and the fact that um, they were bootleggers, they were outlaws, and there was a time in which my grandmother was miraculously healed by uh, a pastor, and then my great-grandfather was paralyzed momentarily until he submitted to God, and then they became pastors, and then here's the crazy thing. I've told that story so many times, and I don't even know them. They're distant relatives, but they're a part of my story. Because they became pastors, and then my grandfather became a pastor, and then my dad became a pastor, and now I'm a pastor. And so in part, I have been shaped by people that I don't even know because their story has shaped my story. Now here's the crazy part, is you will be that great-great-grandparent one time. In In the future, you will be that distant relative, that aunt, that uncle, that whoever, and your story is going to shape future generations, people whom you may not even have the opportunity to meet that the life you're living is going to change your kids, grandkids, great-grandkids. As a teenager, I remember hearing my dad's story over and over again because my dad's story really took a turn. That's when he, when he was a teenager, that's when he had to decide which way he was going to go, if he's going to follow God or if he's going to follow his own passions. And at that point, that was the same place that I was at. And so he would tell me his story over and over again. Cody, here's kind of what I experienced as a teenager. Here's the things that I did. Here's the mistakes that I made. Here's the regrets that I have. And here's how God saved me from a disaster that was, that was coming. And I got to be honest, it was the only reason why I stayed out of trouble when I was a teenager is because I continued to hear his story. And I went, well, I, wanna, I want a different story. I, I want a different story than the one that he's telling. I want to take the mistakes that he made and I want to see if I can avoid those mistakes and end up where he is. His story, would, his story would repeat in my life, or in my mind all the time. Uh, I'll be honest, I have read probably every major philosophy book, every argument for and against the existence of God and scripture and all these, and at the end of the day, the thing that convinces me most about this faith is just seeing how it's played out in my family. Just hearing the stories of transformation and where we could have been and where we were and how God has, has changed, changed us. So real quick, let me end with this. Is 
I mentioned earlier that Jesus probably heard this scripture first and repeated it over and over again. And there's this crazy scene in the New Testament. I won't go through it, but let me just tell you real quick overview. What happens is Jesus is talking to some of the religious leaders of the day, and they're trying to catch him. They're trying to, trying to corner him. And so they ask him this really difficult question. As you look at the 612 laws of the Old Testament, which is the most important? And he can't pick just one because then that would be heresy. And so what does he do? You know what he does? He replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He goes to what he knows. I've repeated this every day and every night my entire life. And so when I'm put up against the wall, I have the answer. I know what to fall back on. And that is my hope for the next generation, is that we would be people who are preparing them. We are creating moments. We are creating traditions and, and memories that when they are in those difficult circumstances, that they will have a faith to fall back on. Because there is going to come a time when your children, maybe your grandchildren, they're going to be on their own. Some of you guys wish it were sooner than later, but they're going to be on their own. They're going to live on their own, and they're going to wake up on a Sunday morning, and no one is telling them to go to church. What are they going to do? Are they going to fall back onto what they know and they go, I've gone to church every weekend of my life. I'm not stopping now. Or, eh, it wasn't that important growing up. I'm not going to go now. There will be a day when, I think probably around the age of 30, that my, my daughter goes on her first date. <laughs> I'm hoping. Give or take a year or two. And if that, if, that, if that man that she goes on a date with is not treating her like the princess that she is, she's going to know it because she's going to go, my daddy has taken me on a date every week of my life. I know what this is supposed to look like and you are not it. I'm not interested. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be moments in which they're going to want to compromise. They're going to have to make a decision and I hope that it's your story that just jumps into their mind and they go, oh, you know what, I remember hearing about my dad, about my mom, about my grandpa, about my aunt, my uncle, and they were in a circumstance like this and, and here's what they did. And so I'm going to avoid that. I'm going to say no, no thanks. See, this whole faith journey in, in the scriptures is described as a long distance race that we are supposed to run it hard and we are supposed to strive for the finish line, but that's only part of it because it's not just a marathon that we are running. It's a relay race. And some of us have forgotten that our job is not finished when we ourselves finish well. Yes, that's huge, that we need to strive for the finish line in our faith, but our job is finished when we've handed off our faith to the next generation. And so, parents, this means passing it on to your kids. Grandparents, this means passing it on to your grandkids. Aunts, uncles, cousins, extended family, this is passing it on to those who are coming after you. Is don't let the baton drop with you. Make sure that you hand your faith off to the next generation. Be passionate, practical, and personal, and do everything that you can to set up this next generation to win. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for, we thank you for this, uh, this truth that you, have, that you have given us, that we are supposed to love you with everything that we have, that we are to be passionate, that we are making this faith practical and extremely personal. And Lord, our hope is not only that we would finish our race well, that we would strive for the finish line, that we would be people who are faithful servants of you, but that we would be able to hand off this faith to the next generation and that they would be able to continue it on. 
So Lord God, some of us, this is, we're not even sure what we're doing in this faith journey, let alone passing it on to the next. And, and so Lord God, I just pray that we as a community would be able to, to surround those kids, that we would be able to love on them, and that we would be able to teach them what it looks like to live faithful, godly lives, Lord God. And so Lord, we thank you for this privilege. We thank you for this responsibility, this stewardship. In your name we pray, amen.